So we're in Mark's Gospel and chapter 9. And it's like a, a double header because last week we looked at Mark chapter 8 and tonight we're looking at Mark chapter 9. And it's like almost two parts to a movie. Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9. It's the apex of Mark's whole gospel. It's where Jesus goes from being this guy that's walking around doing incredible things that just might be God to the point when suddenly everyone knows exactly who he is and what he claims to be and where this is going to end. It's right in Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9. And the whole deal this evening is a deal about trust. It's a deal about faith. It's a question of trust. I I have uh, three brothers and, um, and my second brother, James, is huge. I mean, like I'm big, but James is like huge. And he's made a living by being huge. If that makes any sense to you, we can explain that later. But basically, that's what he's done with his life. He's been huge. And James, <laughs> James, James is also slightly crazy. And, uh, and James got a motorbike. And James said to me, hey, Carl, why don't you come on the back of my bike? And I went, <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I've seen you drive a car. <laughs> and you scare me when I'm in the passenger seat of a car. There is no way in the world on this planet under God's son that I'm getting on the back of your bike. But you know what brothers are like. They know how to ask the question embarrassingly. They know how to poke you in the place that you need to be poked. And eventually I find myself on the back of his bike. To go to the end of the road, he said. I didn't realize that the end of the road was 70 miles. So I'm on the back of this bike. I get to the end of the road and before I can jump off, James turns to me and says, when I lean, you lean. Told you, he made a living by being huge. So when I lean, you lean. I didn't know what he meant until we got into the first corner and he leant and I sat bolt upright. And the bike went. I soon learned that when he leans, you lean. And uh, if I'm honest, we had the best ride. Way too fast. Crazy. The thing is, you're not in control at all, are you, when you're on the back of a bike? And if you try and be in control, it all goes wrong for everybody concerned. It's a bit like life. Life is a journey of trust. Fundamentally, from the moment that you're born, it's a journey of trust. From the moment that you're born, you have to absolutely, completely, and utterly trust your parents. You have no choice in it. And and, and bringing kids up is a journey of trust. They're trusting you. They're totally trusting you. And then there comes a point when they don't trust you. And then there comes a point when you have to trust them. It's all about trust. Am I going to trust to give my heart to someone who can destroy it? It's a journey of trust. Am I going to trust to give my money to a bank who could go under? Am I going to trust to give my word to a business partner who could stitch me up? It's all about trust. And in in essence, in Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9, Jesus asks the trust question. It's a really deep question, actually. And because it's Jesus, and because of the stakes at play, it's a question way beyond heart or money or it's a question of your life. He says, what are you going to trust your life to? 
What are you going to stand the weight of your life upon and can it take your weight? Are you standing the weight of your life on tradition, what everyone has always done, or, 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 or culture, what everyone's doing, or reason, what you think right now, or feelings that will lie to you, or, or will you? And he asked this question of Peter, who I totally love. He says, who do you say I am at a place called Caesarea Philippi? In the shadow of the Roman Empire, Peter says, you're the king, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. It was all going so good for Peter and then, <laughs> and then Jesus says, and this is how I am king and starts talking about his death and his suffering and his crucifixion and, and Peter can't handle it and says, no, 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 not that way and then there's this whole conversation. Peter is always getting it right and then getting it wrong and getting it right and getting it wrong. And I think that's why we've got this story we're about to read in, in Mark chapter 9. It's a really weird story. It's the kind of story that preachers wish wasn't there because it's a miracle story and it's crazy and you can't explain it away and it's offensive to the rational modern mind. But it's God. And I think it's there because Jesus has given an incredible challenge to Peter that's really distasteful to him. Well, you're going to be king in this way, and you want me to deny myself as well in, in this way, and you want me to take up my cross in that way, and that's what it means to follow you? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't get who I am, really. And we have this incredible revelation that we call the transfiguration. And that was a very long introduction. Now we're going to read the Bible. So let's, let's turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, and let's, let's read. The question is this. Who do you say God is? Who do you say Jesus is? What are you going to trust your life to? Not just your heart or your finance. What are you going to trust your life to? After six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. Now, now, you need to understand this. Whenever in the New Testament you, you get numbers and days and all those kind of things, it's never incidental. It's never when, when, when Mark, who is writing this as a result of Peter's eyewitness, when he's writing about six days, it's not some kind of random number that he's just pulled out of the sky. It's important for us to understand. Peter, James, and John were with him and led them up a high mountain when they were all alone there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love this. Now we get the next bracket is we get the commentary of Peter who's obviously the guy who's telling this to, to Mark. And, and Peter is like going, like, um, uh, he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> I love that, don't you love that? Peter just, let's put up three shots. He didn't know what he was saying. He was, he was just very frightened. That's what that's supposed to be about. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, 
they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. That's going to be really important in a moment. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why, why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And I think he's talking about John the Baptist. And they have done to him everything they wished. And I think he's talking about the fact that he was beheaded, just as it is written about him. Verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I bought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples, to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe this is your word and we're up for you speaking to us. So we lay down our boxes and our preconceived ideas and our fears and we come with expectation before the king who is good. Speak, Lord for your servants are listening. So really simply, I think this passage of scripture is here to tell us something more about who Jesus is. And, and, and to tell us something more about who we are and how we respond to the Jesus who is. There's this weird and amazing picture He's transfigured and, and none of the commentators, however clever they are, can actually fully describe what that is. They're all searching for words and, and even the scripture writers are searching for words that end up sounding like a 1980s Daz advert. It's just weird. He's whiter than whiter can ever be. Whiter than white. It's bleachier than bleachy. It's, it's, just, it's just something that's happening to Jesus and it's, and it's crazy and we don't understand it and we find it a bit weird. But Peter and James and John were Jewish men. So they 100% understood what was going on here because they'd read their scriptures and they'd been schooled in their scriptures and they knew that whenever God revealed himself in the Old Testament, he revealed himself in light. In every place, check it out when you go home. Every time God shows up, there's some kind of weird light thing going on. Leviticus 9, God appears in light. Exodus 9, God appears in light. Exodus 24, God appears to Moses on Sinai. And we read of the appearance of the glory of God was like a consuming fire. It's always light fire thing. 2, two Chronicles 7, of the consecration of the temple in Jerusalem. This place where God is going to dwell the fire of God comes and the glory of God is all around. And even in Jesus' day, when God seemed to have gone missing, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple in Jerusalem, behind the curtain, where one man, one day of the year, could go and experience the presence of God. The presence of God is symbolized by a flame that is always there. And so when, when the disciples see this, they go, whoa, 
He really is God. I mean, we kind of knew it, but he's really God. And he's revealing his glory and his weightiness and his splendor and his majesty and his authority. He's not just our mate. He's God. And I love that. I love this glory. And and I love the way the scripture writers talk about the glory of Jesus. Because if you know anything about the scriptures, you'll know there are synoptic gospels. There are three of them, Matthew, Mark, and and Luke, and they all tell this story, and they all tell it from different angles, and they all have a a little bit different in in it. And isn't that just so authentic? Because if I was telling a story and you were telling a story about the same event, you'd have a different angle, and you'd see it through your lens. And and so so they've all got a little bit extra to add to the story. And, And I love the fact that Matthew's version, when the glory of God is revealed... One of the first things that Jesus does is he he reaches down and he touches his mates. The glory of God is not to extinguish you or overwhelm you or embarrass you, but to love you, to be merciful towards you, to be compassionate and gracious towards you. He's not out to get you, he's out to love you and treat you in a way that will help you trust him. Because that's what he's doing. So we got this glory thing. This carpet thing is no good for me because I'm always moving it and I'm gonna, (laughs) we got this glory and we've got this gentleness and then we've got some old guys. You read that bit in the story? I love this, It's it's random, Moses and Elijah. I, I, when I was reading this and trying to prepare, I was trying to work out, how did, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? How did, you, how did you work out it was Moses and, and Elijah? Maybe they'd seen some pictures or some etchings or some drawings or, or, or something, but, but don't two old guys with beards look like any other two old guys with beards? Is that just me? You know, old guys with beards just look the same, don't they? If you're an old guy with a beard, I'm so Sorry. It's one or two, don't be offended in any way, any way, shape. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with, with anything. But the disciples knew again. They 100% knew what was going on here. Because Moses was like their father. Moses was the father of the faith. Moses was the, was the law. Moses was all about the law. Moses was the one who brought the law. And so all the laws and, 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 and constructs of the Jewish religion came from Moses. And, and, and what we're being told here is Jesus says, I'm God and I'm glorious and, and I fulfill every part of this law. And Elijah, he's the chief amongst the prophets and so Jesus is saying, do you know all those prophetic words, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, of them about restoration and about salvation and about liberation and about other things that end in Asian and all that stuff, all that Messiah stuff, it all gets fulfilled in me. I'm the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. I'm God and I am good and I am merciful and I am with you and I am for you. You can trust in me. Wow. And then verse seven, a cloud covers and God speaks. I like to think he speaks in a voice a bit like mine right now. (laughs) And he says, this is my son who I love. 
listen to him. Wow. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. And Jesus gives us this whole thing, I think, to help us by that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you will suffer and I will deny myself in order to follow you. So it tells us something about who Jesus is, but, it, but, but interestingly, I think it also tells us a little bit about who we are. And if you'll hang with me just for a few minutes, it's a really interesting and, and quite challenging look, actually. I think we're being told that we're just ordinary people and broken people and busted people, and it's okay. Because I think that's what the six-day thing is about. Six, the numbers are never incidental. Seven is the number of perfection. Six is the number of less than perfection. And it was definitely six days, not seven days. If they wanted to say it was perfect and Peter had got it all right and it was all going to be right and everyone was tickety-boo and it was great, they'd have said seven days. But they said six days because Peter was still frequently wrong but never in doubt. Peter was always, is he God, is he not? Is he God, is he not? He gets it right, he gets it wrong, he gets it wrong, he gets it right, he gets it right again. I'd have given up on Peter ages ago, but... But it's not the way God works. And James and John, these other guys, they're still got anger issues. <laughs> they're still sons of, of thunder, not because they were good at weather forecasting, but because they, they just got some issues going on. And you're just ordinary. You just got your stuff, and I got my stuff, and you got your brokenness, and, and Jesus is asking the question of you and me, you trust me? You trust me for your healing? You tr- you trust me? And, and, and look, they were afraid. And so are you. It was totally understandable that they were afraid. Don't condemn them for being afraid because the, the whitey thing, the bleachy thing was scary. And the cloudy thing and the fiery, all that stuff and the two ancient figures thing, that was a bit spooky as well. And, and, and they were afraid. And, and, and so are you, and quite rightly. There's a lot of stuff to, that you should feel afraid about right now. You know, there's the Brexit thing, and who knows what that's going to do. And there's the Russia thing, and who knows where that's going to go. And then there's the Trumpy thing. And <laughs> am I allowed to call it the Trumpy thing? There's <laughs> that thing, and you know, without getting political, that's all a bit odd. And and uh, and then there's the finance thing. How's that going to work out for us? And there's the how are our kids ever going to be able to afford? And there is how is our and there's the conservation thing. There's the, the the environment thing. How's that? We don't know what's going to melt and what's not going to melt. And how, how how is all this stuff? You have every right to feel afraid, but I think the scriptures are saying you don't need to live afraid because he is the God of Moses, the law, and he's the God of Elijah prophet and he's the God of you and he's got it and and it's so easy isn't it even for us who say we have faith to make decisions out of fear it's it's massive isn't it because because what would they think of me will I get found out that's a huge one am I going to get found out what will become of me? Will I ever amount to, he's Moses' God and he's Elijah's God and he's yours. And they were afraid. And he says, trust me. 
And, and, and they, were, they were prone to falling asleep. Have you ever noticed this? Luke, in, in Luke's edition of this, this verse, this is the, the most ridiculous thing. Okay? So the most glorious event, perhaps outside of the resurrection story, the most glorious event in the whole of the scriptures is happening before you. Like whitey, whitey thing and two old guys and, and nobody knows what's going on and the disciples have fallen asleep. Have you noticed how often in the scriptures the disciples fall asleep at the most inopportune moments? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is literally sweating blood and he's asked them, please don't fall asleep because he knows they're prone to falling asleep. That's usually away in the corner. Jesus is fighting all the hordes of the enemy. And we laugh, aren't we exactly the same? The church just asleep to what God is doing? God's on the move. He's doing something. We, we are at this most exciting time in world history where all bets are off. Everything is shifting and changing. There is this incredible opportunity for the kingdom of God and the people of God and the church is asleep and arguing about all the wrong things. So some are too afraid. And some of us are too asleep. And some of us are just too active. You notice this? Peter. Jesus, I'll tell you what, I don't know what's going on, I'm a bit afraid. Uh, I think we'll just build three tents. Just build three. I don't think Peter can build tents. I think he's just going, I've got to come up with something because this is freaking me out. Can we just build like three tents? Because as Moses and Elijah and you, he's becoming more northern by the minute. As Moses and Elijah and you, can we just build some, some tents? <laughs> Jesus, I want to really help you be God. I'd really like to help you be God better, Jesus. Could you just... It's ridiculous. But some of us do that, don't we? We don't know what to do when the presence of God is around, the glory of God is around, so we try and do something. Just try and do something. Just get involved, do something. And our activism sometimes gets in the way of what God is really doing with us. And some of us... Our problem is we just want to stay on the mountain in the glory cloud. He is jealous for me. You know, we had an experience of God on the mountain. And we want to kind of some kind of build a structure on the mountain to keep us forever on the mountain and somehow keep the glory of God on the mountain because the mountain is the thing. And here's the thing. All the glory of the mountain is for ministry in the valley. You ever notice that? This is for that. This, this is for that, or it's not all that. It's just this. Anyone who's listening online to that <laughs> will have no idea what just happened. All these guys met God up a hill. Have you noticed that, the history of this? Moses is up a hill on Sinai, he gets the law. Elijah is on Mount Horeb. He meets God in the still small voice. It's probably there, the key moments of their walk with God. But the ministry for them is always on the way down. Lead the people, anoint the new king, pass on your mantle to a successor. People, Jesus is on the move. He's not on the mountain. He's going down the mountain into the valley. 
And so many of us and so many of our churches are content to spend our time on constructing vehicles to keep the glory on the top of the mountain when the glory is trying to get out. And God is doing something different. And Jesus reveals all this to his guys. And then something weird happens. Moses and Elijah disappear. And there is just Jesus. And it's, it is so profound and so challenging. There's just Jesus. What, what's going on? Well, if, if Moses represented to the disciples their past, their, their history, everything they stood on, their stories they told themselves and told their kids, if that was Moses, then Elijah represented the future. He was the prophet. He was the certainty of God's future. He was going to come again. So between the past and the future and suddenly they're, they're gone. And there's just Jesus. And, and in this moment, in this passage, this is, this is our call. This is our call. The past you don't have anymore. And the future is never certain. But what you have is now, and what you've got is Jesus. So guys, if, if you wanna really trust Jesus with your life, you have to let go of the past. You can't live there. Stop allowing your life to be defined by what happened and who did and what they said and the decisions that you made that you wish you didn't make and the deals that didn't come off. Let go of the past. Let go of what used to define you. That's what following Jesus is about. Saying you will define me from this moment onwards. Not that stuff. Not that stuff. You can't live there. And trying to will just limit God's future for you. Let go of the past and, and take your hands off the future because it's a nonsense. <laughs> you trying to control it, what's going to happen, where you're going to go, how you're going to do something, is a total nonsense. You cannot control it. It is an enigma. And you're not supposed to. He holds the past and heals the past. He holds the future in the palm of his hand and he is God and he is good and he's the king and it's his glory. Listen, you don't need to let fear lead you anymore. Let Jesus. You've done that for too long. Let Jesus lead you. Listen, you don't have to spend your life building temporary structures for your fears and your anxieties and your concerns. Follow Jesus. Listen, let the spirit of Jesus gently shake you awake. Wake up. Wake up to what's happening in this world. Wake up to what God is really doing with you. Wake up to the call of God on your life. Wake up to the now of, of Jesus. It's just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus. Forget the structures of the church. It's just Jesus. Moses is gone, Elijah's not here. Just Jesus. 
And it sounds less, doesn't it? If Moses has gone, Elijah's gone, it sounds less, but it's infinitely more. It's infinitely more. And then God says, just do what he tells you to do, which is radically offensive to the way you've been brought up. Yeah, you're not just gonna just do what someone tells you to do. You're gonna think about it, you're gonna rationalize it, you're gonna argue it, you're gonna ask other people, you're gonna read some stuff, you're gonna check out according to your experience and your background whether it's right, and then you're gonna think about doing it one day maybe. But God says just do what he tells you to do because he's God and he's good and you're not God. And if you do it, you will move from fear to faith and you'll be full of courage. And if you just listen to him and do it, you will move from asleep to awake and you'll be full of life. And if you just listen to him and then do it, you will move from holding on to the past, even the bad stuff of the past, the wounds of the past and the pain of the past, even the glories of the past and trying to control your future to suddenly living out the adventure of God. If you listen to God and then just do it, you'll move from investing in the temporary structures of now to adventuring into the stuff of all eternity. Listen to him. Just listen to him. Guys, the, the call of discipleship, the call of following Jesus is a call to irrational obedience to the voice of Jesus. It always was, it always will be. Irrational obedience to the call of Jesus. Listen to him, listen to him. There is so much noise in your head so many opinions, listen to him. And I love this. Because my question as we close, and I promise we are going to close, my question as we close is this. What is, what is Jesus saying? <laughs> listen, what's he saying? Listen to Jesus, it's a logical question. Isn't it? What, what's he doing? What's he saying? What, am I, what, am I, what does it mean to follow him? And I love what happens next. Because Jesus leads them down the mountain to the guy with the deepest need. And that's cool because that's what he's always doing. Jesus leads them down the mountain to the guy with the deepest need, to the needy and the suffering of this world. And he says, trusting me and following me is about speaking for me, praying to me and serving with me. That's what it's about, speaking of me, praying to me serving with me. That, 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 that's what it looks like. The glory cloud is not for a magnificent worship experience. It's for a salvation adventure. That's what it's for. It's for healing. It's for justice. It's for the valley. It's for the city. It's for the broken. It's for the impoverished. It's for the sick. It's so that the glory people might begin to seek, speak, pray, serve. And you know what? I pray for the moment that we get inspired to go beyond food banks. Other food banks are not great, they're great. 
And go beyond debt counseling services. Not that debt counseling services aren't one of the best things that we do, but begins to ask the questions, why are people impoverished in the first place? Why do people not have jobs in the first place? Why are people not educated properly in the first place? Why is there not a level playing field for people? Why do the rich have so much and the poor have so little? What is the, if, we, if we haven't got answers to that, we're not truly living the kingdom of God. What does it look like for us to get involved in education and in, in health and ask the right questions? What, what does the kingdom of God have to say? about these things because we've been up the mountain and we've experienced who God is and we know he has all the glory and all the honor and we're trusting him. We're not trusting the systems of our world anymore. We're trusting Jesus with the weight of our life and we're going to use our life to see the kingdom come in every way possible because he's God and we're the children of God and he's leading us into the valley. So here's the question. Same question as last week. Just a different angle and a different story. Who do you say he is? Who who do you say he is? Because if he is who he says he is, it's like a game changer. Nothing can remain the same again. Nothing. Because he's God. And he's God like this. And he's God for this. Who do do you say? I am. Let's pray. God, once again, we ask that you'd come and you'd remove all the rubbish that the preacher said that it's not of you and not for us. All the fleshy stuff. Like he was trying to be funny. And you would just sink deep in our hearts that word that is from you that changes our lives. Would you ruin us for any other authority any other perspective, any other trust, saving you. And would you school us in what that means? Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We invite you to come. And I pray this evening for healing Pray, um, I have a real sense that we're supposed to pray for some of you who just need to let go of the past. I don't think that's a tradition thing. I think you've been wounded and hurt and damaged because you can't get through this world without that. But the temptation is to hold on to it and let it define you from this moment onwards. And Jesus says, it's just me now. Just deal with me. And I'm, Moses is gone, by the way. And I'm the healer of your soul. I'm the healer of your soul. I'm the healer of your soul.